One of my favorite cartoons of all time is this one right here. Now, cartoons, for those of you who are younger, are unanimated pictures that would appear in sequential order in newspapers from way back a long time ago. Not like uh, Troll Hunters on Netflix. So it's, it's on paper and there's stills, okay? You might call it graphic art. But I love this graphic art from the family circus. If you're a parent, you totally know this. So the mom has all the kids lined up. Someone has broken her good plate. I think I know the answer, but I'll ask you anyway. Which of you broke my plate? And look at their answers. I don't know, nobody. My favorite of all time, not me, not me. If you're a parent, you know how this works. If you're a kid, you know how this works. I want you to practice with me right now. Say these two words. Not me. I'm going to ask a series of questions, and you just shout out those two words. Are you ready? Who left the TV on? Not me. Who left the milk on the counter? Not me. Who left the garage door open all night? Not me. Who left the toilet paper holder empty and didn't put on a new roll. <laughs> Who ate all the Oreos and put back an empty package into the cabinet? <laughs> Most Americans, when they read the second commandment, have this exact same mindset. Make no graven images, or you must not make for yourself an idol. And we all think, not me. Of all the Ten Commandments, I've got that one down. Because I don't have a chisel, I don't have a lathe, and even if I had a lathe or a chisel, I don't have the talent to make something out of stone or out of wood. It's not going to happen. And so, most Americans, when they read the second commandment or they think of idols or idolatry, they think of statues, temples, people in grass skirts with painted faces on National Geographic. You know, and there they are. Now, idolatry, as it's defined online, is the worship of idols or Extreme admiration, love, or reverence for someone or something. In other words, that's how we get the phrase, he just idolizes the Beatles. No one says that anymore, but they did. <laughs> they did a long time ago. <laughs> okay? Allow me to identify adultery or idolatry is. <laughs> Woo! Allow me to identify idolatry as simply as I can. Valuing something more than you value God. Valuing something more than you value God. An idol is something that we love more than God, want more than God, treasure more than God, desire more than God, and enjoy more than God. And you might say, well, Max, Max, there's nothing I value more than God. And I would probably say, please, let's not be quite that naive. And I want to talk about that today. So here's my bottom line. We will always worship something. And often what we worship isn't God. Often what we worship isn't God. Now, in the Bible, God accuses 
um, his people of committing spiritual adultery. Uh, in other words, they love their idols more than they love God. And he'll, through the prophets, through the mouth of the prophets, he'll say things like, you've prostituted and whored yourselves out to the Baal and Asherah poles. And he's steaming mad when he says those things through the prophets. God accuses his people of serving idols. They, in other words, the idols become their master. And he accuses them of sacrificing to idols. In other words, uh, they're looking to the idol to save them and to give them meaning. I want to say to you that God's people today, believe it or not, still commit spiritual idolatry. And I want to list several ways that we do that. And if you pay attention today, you might think to yourself, whoa, Max, there are idolaters everywhere. You might come to that conclusion. You might squirm in your seat a little bit. You might walk away and think, well, man, some of those things are brilliant. I just want to tell you, it's not me. I'm reading from Tim Keller, Phil Riken, Moshe Habertal. So if you walk away and say, Max is brilliant. No, it's not that I'm brilliant. I just read a lot. There's a difference, OK? There's a difference. So I want to unpack some idols that we have in America in 2018. Here's one that we can usually point the finger at someone else, the idol of wealth and success. I only have worth and meaning if I'm, if I'm successful and if I'm wealthy. Often, the, uh, an accusation that will be made about a person who has an idol of wealth and success is all they care about is money. All they care about is money. Um, and we spend a tremendous amount of effort getting into the right school so that we can land the right internship that will then unlock the right first job so that after some razzle and dazzle and hustle, we can get promoted and open up the next opportunity. And then at some point, blink, we're successful. We've arrived. Um, you will love this idol if this is what you worship. You will serve this idol, and you will sacrifice to this idol. And if you don't believe me, last week we talked about the, uh, the god Molech and how people would sacrifice, literally sacrifice their children to the god Molech. And we all think as Americans, who would do that? That's insane. All you need to do is go to New York City and pull some of the top hedge fund managers in the country together and put them in a room and ask them two questions. What's your personal life like? What's your family life like? And you'll get a front row seat to what sacrificing children looks like in 2018 America. Um, the idol of wealth and success makes a terrible God. It makes a terrible God. There's another idol, an idol of children. Believe it or not, I only have worth if my kids are happy, if my kids love me, and if my kids are successful. Which means that if my kids aren't happy, if they don't love me, if they're not successful, I can't go on. When children become the ultimate thing in my life and they end up replacing God, um, what happens is all of my parental expectations about them loving me back and them being successful ends up crushing them. They can't bear the weight of all those parental expectations. And typically what happens is they rebel and they push back and they move far away. And then we, in turn, as parents, we get wounded in the worst possible way. We turn to God and say, God, how could you? And God's thinking, 
what do you mean me? Like, you're the one that made an idol out of your kids. Like, come on, <laughs> cut me some slack. So again, idol of children makes for a terrible God. I wanna quote Tim Keller, all right? So Tim Keller has some helpful things in talking about idolatry in 2018 America. And he says, if anything in your life becomes so central that you cannot have a meaningful life without it, it's, it's probably an idol. And he says, how, how can you know if something's an idol in your life? And he says, if you can say, if I lost, if I lost my marriage, if I lost my career, if I lost my looks, I don't know how I would go on. In other words, he says there's a difference between good things and ultimate things. In other words, when you lose a good thing, you're sad. You may be devastatingly sad. But when you lose an ultimate thing, you want to throw yourself off a bridge. Um, often it's hard to find out what people are living for. Kind of like the princess bride. What do you got that's worth living for, right? It's hard to find that out. And one of the ways that you can find out is through your nightmares. What are your nightmares about? What are you afraid the most of losing? So I wanna talk about some other idols. There's the idol of approval. I only have worth if I'm loved and respected by my wife, my husband, my kids, my my colleagues, fill in the blank. I only have, life only has meaning. I only have worth if I'm loved and respected by. The greatest nightmare for someone whose idol is approval is the fear of rejection. Often the people around someone like this will feel smothered by them, right? And because approval is the ultimate thing, they'll hang out in the morning with Denise being, and they're talking about Gary. And Denise is saying, Gary is just the worst person ever. He's a scoundrel. I hate him. And, and you say, oh, you're so right. I hate Gary. He's awful. Four hours later, someone else is talking about Gary. Isn't he the best? He's like amazing. And you say, oh, I know. He's incredible. Because you don't want to, you don't want to, uh, uh, you don't want, you want to appease others. Um, when the idol of approval is what you worship more than God, God's approval isn't enough. And you're always worrying about what other people think. And you have a tendency to overcommit and overpromise. And again, the idol of approval makes for a terrible God. Makes for a terrible God. Um, then there's the idol of control. I only have worth if I can get mastery in my life over. You seek control and you say, oh, this is just self-discipline. It's certainty. I have, I have standards but you're often lonely and you can't handle spontaneity. And when you have kids, you tend to be the worst helicopter parent ever. You're trying to control all of the circumstances because you want them to turn out perfect and you're guarding all of this stuff. Um, your greatest nightmare is uncertainty. And you say to others phrases like, why can't you just, or if I want it done right, I've got to do it myself and you have no peace, no rest, and you're always afraid. Now, when you're preaching on idolatry, there are two ways you can do it as a pastor. You can stand up and you go, you people, you got idols, you need to repent. And or you can also talk about your own idols. I'm choosing door number two. So your pastor, me, I've had a lifelong struggle with the idol of control. 
In my 20s, I was classic OCD. I controlled every aspect of my environment. Now, if you're a volunteer or a lay leader at Generations, you might think, Max, you don't have control issues. I know what it is to volunteer from you, uh, volunteer for you. Yes, that may be true. I'm working really hard on this. But I find that there are still times in my life when I'm very stressed. I've trained myself to try and control things as a mechanism for stress, and what I'm trusting in is, is the control and not God. Do you see the difference? So I just want you to see that, right, idolatry is a big thing. It's a big thing. So now I think we're ready to go into the text. I think you're like, oh, so like idolatry is a thing. Yes. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments." So there's four things going on. This is two commandments. There are two of the 10 commandments are pretty lengthy. This is one of the two commandments that are pretty lengthy. It's not just a don't X. <laughs> there's a lot going on here. So what's going on? There's a rule, a reason, a warning, and a promise. The rule is simple. Don't make idols. <laughs> That's the rule. Don't make idols. The reason is God is jealous. God loves you. God wants you, all of you. And he doesn't want to share that with anyone else in the sense of being God and giving you meaning and value and saving you. He wants to be the only God that you have. Not unlike, we know what this is when we're married. I'm married to a swim coach. My wife is constantly hanging around younger men who are svelte and awesome looking, and if my wife started, when, when one of the assistant coaches called and she started giggling all the time when they called, and if she were telling me, I'm just gonna go hang over at so-and-so's house just for a little bit, and she was excited to go, you better believe I would get hot and heavy and jealous and there would be coming out of me, right? Because I love her and I want that relationship to be exclusive, and God wants the same thing. The reason is that God is jealous. See, God isn't apathetic towards you. He's passionate about you. The way we often are about our kids, right? Somebody, somebody disses and you know, does something bad to your kids and you're ready to, you know, the nukes have left the silos. God feels that way, okay? Then there's a warning and the warning is iniquity is when we twist something. And so God is saying, look, it affects entire families. My covenant isn't just with individuals, it's with groups of people. And when, and when the parents are idolaters, their kids tend to become idolaters. Now, I always read this passage and I read it the wrong way for the longest time. I always read this passage and thought, boy, God is terrible. God is punishing innocent children for the sins of their parents. Boy, I can't get behind that, that's just, that's just wrong. But look at what is said here. 
even the children in the third and fourth generations of those who what? Reject me. So the kids aren't exactly innocent. And we know what this is like in our family systems, how we can sometimes pass on things to our kids and our kids become adults who do the same thing, right? We know this because of psychology. We know this, <laughs> okay? But the promise, which is the last thing, is powerful. But I lavish unfailing love for how many generations? A thousand. What's stronger, the love or the idolatry? The love. All right? In light of this command not to have idols, I want to ask some questions. The first one is, when it comes to, you know what it is. When it comes to, it, what if you failed or you lost, would it cause you to feel like you didn't even want to live? What do you use to comfort yourself when things go bad or they get difficult? And, and what prayer, if unanswered, would make you seriously consider turning away from God? So how can you and I take this home? Um, first and foremost, please say no to formulas. One of the things that, um, here's what I mean by that. Back in the day, 3,000 years ago, when it came to idols, part of the way it worked is I made a meal and I brought in a sacrifice to the idol and the idol that represented the God was obligated to me to do something for me in return. So sometimes we'll say, well, God, I'll do blank if you'll do blank. And a form, a subtle form of idolatry is when we think we can kind of corner God or get God to do something for us. God isn't obligated. Um, C.S. Lewis draws this out powerfully in his metaphor in the Chronicles of Narnia. You have the Pensivy children who hear about this lion, Aslan, and they're kind of freaked out about a lion, and they ask Mr. Beaver, well, is this a tame lion? In other words, do we have some control over this lion? And Mr. Beaver's like, no, he's, he's not tame, but he's good, right? So say no to formulas. And then secondly, this is in America everywhere. You're going you're gonna to run into people and they're going to launch into, and I've done this myself. This is how I like to think of God. Usually what follows you should take with a grain of salt. And what happens when we say that is often what we're doing is we're taking some attributes of God that we really like and we're kind of ignoring some other attributes. Well, I like to think of God as, you know, God is love, and, and we'll emphasize these things, and we'll forget that Jesus drove people out of a temple, or that when he talks about the resurrected life, there's a separation of people, right? And so, again, be careful about the phrase, you know, I like to think about God, dot, dot, dot. Okay, so what can you and I do when it comes to our idols? The very first thing is to name it. I worship control. You know what it is for you. I worship blank. Name it. Um, name it. 
Um, if you want to have peace, if you want to have the kind of abundant, free life that Jesus talks about, you've got to give Jesus the ability to remove idols from your life. One of the things that was, has been eye-opening for me as I've read through the book of Acts is that the apostle Paul, it seems like everywhere he went, he challenged idols. And there's a movement among American pastors right now that, that where they're basically claiming one of the things that the role of the church needs to do better is challenging the idols of the day and time. And I'm like, really? No one ever told me that. <laughs> okay, so I'm a little behind on that. But name it. I worship. And then the second part is to own that. Um, one of the things that we tend to do as Americans is we tend to shift responsibility. In other words, my dad never showed up to any of my games and da 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 and because he didn't, I, and so we're sort of guilty, but not really because it's really mom and dad's fault. So like, own it, just own it. Um, now, if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet a believer, I want to say to you that only Jesus Christ can remove idols. And and the reason I say that is because of something this guy wrote long, long time ago. He was one of the Protestant reformers. His name is John Calvin. <coughs> John Calvin. And he said this. He said, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. In other words, what he was claiming is, you don't even have to believe in God. You're going to worship someone or something because we all, we're built to worship. And he's, he's spot on. Most of the avid atheists that I've encountered personally in my life, they're idol worshipers. They worship intellectualism. They've got to be the smartest man or woman in the room. They've got to have the academic pedigree to back it up. And if that's not true about them, they're literally nothing. They're devastated. It pulls the rug out from under them. That's, that's an idol of intellectualism, right? Okay, so we all worship something. So I just wanted to say today that idolatry isn't statues, it isn't temples, it isn't people in grass skirts with painted faces, it's turning good things into ultimate things. And if you wanna be free, if you wanna love God and love others with that kind of freedom, you've got to allow God and only God to give you meaning to tell you what you're worth and to save you. You are the only God that we will ever need. You are all that we want. You supply all our needs. We desire a personal relationship with you because you are infinitely better than any earthly idols. Help us to see this when we become weak. Thank you.